You're listening to the Southwide Baptist Church Podcast with Pastor Jeremy Lewis. At Southwide Baptist Church, our mission is to boldly proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ and thereby lead people to worship God authentically, connect in biblical community, grow in Christian maturity, and multiply disciples and churches both locally and globally. For more information about our church, please visit www.southwidebaptist.com. Now let's join Pastor Jeremy for today's message. Well, if you have a copy of God's Word, let me invite you to turn with me to Acts chapter 2. Acts chapter 2, as we dive back into our study of the book of Acts together, And we are praying that God would open our hearts to remind us of what our mission is as the church. We're rediscovering our mission. And sometimes rediscovering our mission requires that we peel back all of the layers of things that we have added to it through the years. And sometimes it requires us just to go back to the simple truths of God's Word and be reminded what God calls us to at the very most basic level. And so as the disciples, as we looked last week, as the disciples were looking at their Savior who is going up into the clouds, ascending to heaven, they are kind of scratching their heads and wondering, what now? And I think that that's an important question for us to evaluate. Because it's that very question that I think all of us are asking in this new normal, at least for the church in these days. And if I'm being completely honest with you, I don't know that we're ever going to go back to the same um, routine that we had before. I I think that many things in our culture are going to be different, uh, at least for the short, long term ahead. I, I don't see us returning back to some of the things that we left. Just being in conversation with many of our pastors across the state of Florida, friends of mine who are doing ministry in different ways, this is going to change things forever. And we've got to ask the question, what now? Now, it doesn't change the mission. It doesn't change the message. But ultimately, it changes the way that we live out that mission in the world that God has placed us in. So what now? And I just believe that in going back to the book of Acts, we come back to some very basic truths that must make up the ministry, not just of our church, but of every church, of the church universal, the church of Jesus. And so as we live out this mission that he's called us to, what are those basic things that we see? So we're walking through the book of Acts together. We're going to come to chapter 2 today. And by the way, we're not looking at every single passage in Acts. We want to look at some specific areas as we walk through this book together and see what the early church did to live out their mission when they had this question on their minds, what now? When they had no traditional lens with which to see the church, but rather they simply looked to the Spirit of God to see how they were to go forward in the mission of Christ. So that's what we want to do as we look at the book of Acts together. So if you found your place there in Acts chapter 2, let me invite you to gather around God's Word together as a family or huddle in tight. We want to hear what the Lord has to say to us this morning. Acts chapter 2, beginning in verse 1. 
When the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place. And suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind. And it filled the entire house where they were sitting. And divided tongues as of fire appeared to them and rested on each one of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Now there were dwelling in Jerusalem Jews, devout men from every nation under heaven. And at this sound, the multitude came together and they were bewildered because each one was hearing them speak in his own language. And they were amazed and astonished, saying, Are not all these who are speaking Galileans? And how is it that we hear each of us in his own native language? Parthians and Medes and Elamites, residents of Mesopotamia, Judea, Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Phrygia and Pamphylia, Egypt and the part and, and the parts of Libya that the parts of Libya belonging to Cyrene, and visitors from Rome, both Jews and proselytes, Cretans and Arabians. We hear them telling in our own tongues the mighty works of God. And all were amazed and perplexed, saying to one another, What does this mean? But others, mocking, said, They are filled with new wine. But Peter, standing with the eleven, lifted up his voice and addressed them, Men of Judea and all who dwell in Jerusalem, let this be known to you and give ear to my words. For these people are not drunk, as you suppose, since it is only the third hour of the day. But this is what was uttered through the prophet Joel. And in the last days it shall be, it shall, it shall be God declares, that I will pour out My Spirit on all flesh, and your sons and your daughters shall prophesy, and your young men shall see visions, and your old men shall dream dreams. Even on My male servants and female servants, in those days I will pour out My Spirit, and they shall prophesy. And I will show wonders in, heavens, in the heavens above, and signs on the earth below, blood and fire and vapor of smoke. The sun shall be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the day of the Lord comes, the great and magnificent day. And it shall come to pass that everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Let's pray together. Lord, we pray that You would help us this morning as we have opened Your Word to hear what Your Spirit would speak to us today. God, You have made it plain on the pages of this book, and yet, God, our hearts are calloused, our eyes are blinded, our minds are set upon the flesh. And so, Lord, we pray that You would lift the blinders, that You would open our eyes to see, that You would soften our hearts to receive and our minds to understand what Your Word would say to us this morning. I pray that Your church would be renewed in her mission. That we would be reminded of what You have called us to and even beyond that, what You have equipped us for. And may we see with great clarity 
what it is that we have been given in order to accomplish the mission that You have given us. Lord, we pray as Your church this morning, even as we're mindful that there may be some, and no doubt there are some, who are hearing right now the message of the Gospel and may hear later as they listen to the recording of this live stream, who do not know Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. And we pray that this day they would hear the Gospel the good news of Christ, and be saved. Cry out to You, because Your Word says that all of those who call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. And so we pray all these things in Jesus' name and for His glory. Amen. Well, as we look at the story here in Acts chapter 2, let me just kind of bring you back up to speed as to where we are. Jesus has ultimately been crucified. He was killed for the sake of this human uh, desire to see Him silenced and this human conviction that He is guilty as a criminal. And yet even in that conviction, we know that it was God who handed Him over to be crucified. And Jesus came and was crucified for the sins of the world so that you and I might be saved. <laughs> so that we would look to God and and repent of our sins and put our faith in Jesus Christ, trusting in His death for us in our place. And so the world tried to kill Him, and that did not work, because three days later, Jesus rose from the dead. Even in that rising from the dead, they tried to create a story and silence Jesus to make a a mockery of the resurrection of Jesus, but He appeared to so many different people, including 500 at once. Jesus, in fact, did rise from the dead. So they tried to kill Him. Now He's alive. But now we see in Acts chapter 1 that He actually ascends to the Father. He's leaving. And if you're looking at the story, it's almost as if there is this moment, this pause in the story where Jesus has been here for three and a half years and He's done all of these things. We've seen these miracles. We've seen His death and His resurrection. We see all of this activity in the world with Jesus being at the center of it. But now, Jesus is no longer here. And without skipping a beat... Luke moves right into Acts chapter 2 whenever the Holy Spirit comes into His church and it is as if the very presence of Christ has now inhabited His church and without skipping a beat, the person and work of Jesus continues on in the life of His church. And you need to hear this this morning. The Gospel is the good news that Jesus saves and that Jesus is not gone. Jesus is still here among us. He is with us. And the same Gospel He preached is the Gospel we preach to you. And you can receive salvation today in Jesus Christ by putting your faith and trust in Him. So the story of that happening is the early church. And the day was Pentecost. The day of Pentecost, before it had any significance for the early church, it had a deep significance for the Hebrew people. The day marked the second of three major annual feasts that the nation would enjoy together. It celebrated 50 days after, after Passover, the first feast that they participated in together. And they would celebrate this feast together as God's people. It was a 
pilgrim uh, pilgrim festival where they would come if they had been scattered they would come and gather back in all together much like we're going to do in the coming days it was a feast that was a celebration of a great harvest think about it in similar terms as our thanksgiving meal that we have as we celebrate all that god has given us this is what the nation did as they gathered together and celebrated all that god had blessed them with that that great harvest And therefore, they recognized the blessing of God in their lives. All the Jewish men would come back together if they were scattered. And even, by the way, the stranger was invited to come and be a part of this. There was an emphasis placed on the poor and making sure that no one did without, that everyone had plenty. And they would do this together as an entire nation. And then they would present offerings to the Lord. The new grain, the very first fruits of what God had provided, they would give to the Lord as, a, as an offering and as a blessing to Him, even as they had blessed them. You can read more about that in Exodus chapter 32, and Levit- or rather 34, and Leviticus chapter 23, uh, as you study the day of Pentecost together. It's not insignificant that God providentially chose this day in order for the Holy Spirit to come and the church to be birthed. All of Israel would have gathered together on that day so that everybody was there in Jerusalem to hear the preaching of the gospel. Little did they know, but the harvest that was soon to be celebrated was not a harvest of food. It was a harvest of souls where men and women and boys and girls would come to faith in Jesus Christ. 3,000, the Bible says, would come and be saved. The most spiritually needy in the day would be fed. Not the, the, hunger, the hungry necessarily, but those that were spiritually hungry. And there would be no one who would be left in need. They would all experience the goodness of God. And what would be given to them would be the bread of life. The Word of Christ would be preached. Later, even the stranger, the Gentile, all from out, throughout the land would be able to hear the Gospel message. And this was the birth of the church. A group whose mission would be to invite all nations in every place on the planet to come and experience the goodness of God in Jesus Christ. And together, the church offers up praise to the Lord every single time we gather of the first fruits. We offer up praise for this harvest of souls that He continues to give as people are still 2,000 years later coming to faith in Jesus Christ. This was an incredibly significant day. And if you note the language here, the word arrived here in the ESV, here in verse 1 of chapter 2, when the day of Pentecost arrived is literally the word fulfilled. It's as, as if Luke was knowing the significance of this day, was saying to us that, that it's not just that the feast was something that was a, a symbol that would ultimately be Uh, met in Jesus, but that that's what the feast was established for. To continue to point us to this harvest that God was bringing through the life of His Son. It was an incredibly significant day. And so we read the story together. The disciples were gathered there in one place. And they came 
from there, there came from heaven this sound like a mighty rushing wind. It says it came from heaven and it filled the entire house. What's referred to as tongues of fire were divided and rested upon each one of them and they began to speak in the tongues of other nations, other languages as the Spirit gave them utterance. Each of the nations gathered there in Jerusalem and they understood what was being said to them. And it was a miracle because all of these people were Galileans. They wouldn't have known every one of the native tongues. The conclusion about them speaking in tongues was that these men must be drunk. <laughs> they, must have, they must have had a little too much to drink. And of course, Peter rises and gives an uh, explanation from Joel chapter 2 that he quotes for them. And then he preaches Christ to these Jews. A sermon that, by the way, we will look at next week as we gather together. And the Bible tells us at the end of chapter 2 that about 3,000 people are saved. And the church is born. That day has been marked as one of the most powerful days in church history. Much has been made about the individual details of the story and what different things mean and how we experience those things today, especially the tongues of fire reference. We're going to bring some clarity to that as we move forward this morning through the passage. But the big picture idea, what, we're, what we walk away with as we look at this first half of, the cha- of chapter 2, this this incredible, powerful picture. What do we walk away with as the church? What is unmistakably true from this narrative? I want to give you this truth and you might write this down. The church that is filled with God's Spirit will experience God's power to accomplish God's mission. This is unmistakably true in the passage. So what is a basic truth as we think about our lives as the church, we continue to live out this mission that He's called us to. What does it look like to go back to the basics? This is a core, foundational, fundamental truth that we must realize. The church that is filled with God's Spirit will experience God's power to accomplish God's mission. So all of this that we see in Acts chapter 2 actually goes back to Acts chapter 1. You might follow along here, but as Jesus is describing to the disciples what His kingdom is going to look like, we get to Acts chapter 1 and verse 8, and He says these words, "...but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. What you have in that passage is the receiving of the Holy Spirit, the empowering of the church, and the accomplishment of His mission. That is the three ideas. Acts chapter 2 then is the outworking, the story of how that actually began to take place and the church was birthed. Notice that there is this coming of the Holy Spirit and that is the vital force in the church that begins to empower them for the mission of Christ. 
And it's interesting because if you follow what what Luke is doing with with his gospel, the gospel of Luke, and you see what he's doing with this narrative as he wrote about the church, there's there's a similarity between the first part of Acts and the first part of uh, of Luke. What he's what he's showing us is that from the beginning of the gospel to the end of the gospel, the Holy Spirit has always been at work in the lives of his people because he began even in the birth of Jesus. So you could follow this, and we're not going to take the time to walk through this this morning, but just notice some of these parallels. I'll just give them to you. Just as in Acts, these people were empowered to be a witness, empowered by the Holy Spirit. Notice that John, in Luke chapter 1 and verse 15, Elizabeth, Luke chapter 1 and verse 41, Zechariah, verse 67, and then Simeon over in Luke chapter 2, verses 25 through 35, it says that all of them were filled with the Holy Spirit to be a witness to this coming Christ. Not only that, Jesus in Luke chapter 1 was conceived of the Holy Spirit just as the church is being conceived by the Holy Spirit here in Acts chapter 2. These parallels are uncanny. That as you look at Luke chapter 4, Jesus was endowed with the Holy Spirit there at His inaugural sermon. And in the same way, Peter was, was endowed with the Holy Spirit as he rose to speak. Luke chapter 3, we missed this one. The Spirit descended upon Jesus at His baptism. And here Jesus says in Acts chapter 1 that the church is going to be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. It is unmistakable what Luke wants us to see. The same power that was in and upon Jesus is now in and upon His church in the Spirit of God for us to do the work of the ministry. The same power of God is living within us. It's an amazing picture. The church that is filled with God's Spirit will experience God's power to accomplish God's mission. So there are three parts to that statement. They make up the framework, I believe, of this first part of chapter 2. The three parts are, we must be filled with God's Spirit. Okay, so Pentecost, they were filled with God's Spirit. We must also be filled with God's Spirit. We're going to look at that. When that's true, then we will experience God's power. So that's the second thing that we're going to look at. We see that in the second part of the passage. And then in God's power we ultimately will accomplish, not our doing it, but His doing it in us, we will accomplish God's mission as we are obedient to Him. So we're going to take those three statements and let them serve not only as the main truths of this passage, but the framework of our time together as we walk through the passage this morning in the time that we have remaining. So first, we must be filled with God's Spirit. We must be filled with God's Spirit. The first four verses should be for the Christian an exciting, thrilling, wonderful, glorious kind of a moment. Like, I, I wish I had been there for that. When the day of Pentecost arrived, here's the church all gathered together in one place. They don't even know They don't even know they're the church yet. No building, just this room where they're gathered together and they are praying. And suddenly, there comes this 
sound from heaven like a mighty rushing wind. So much so that it fills the entire house where they are seated. Now, don't miss this imagery, because if you bring back in and we're going to do this in a second, but you bring back in the Old Testament before when the when the presence of God came and filled the place, no one could be in there. But now here they are in the same place and the Holy Spirit comes and fills the entire place where they are gathered. (laughs) And divided tongues as of fire appeared to them and rested on each one of them. And they all filled with the Holy Spirit began to speak in other tongues. And that word tongues, there's other languages, known languages, ethnic dialects. And they were speaking in these dialects as the Spirit gave them utterance, even though they were all Galileans. How do we know that they were praying? Well, chapter 1 tells us. You go back to verse 14. You'll see it there in the passage that we looked at uh, last week. All these were with one accord, were devoting themselves to prayer. They were together. And they were devoting themselves to prayer. Let me just say to you that any church that desires to be filled with God's Spirit must be a praying church. We not only should be casual in our prayer life, we should be devoted in our prayer life. The church must be devoted to prayer. A Spirit-filled church is a praying church. This was not just true at the the initial coming of the Spirit of God. If you go over to Acts chapter 4, you see Peter and John before the Sanhedrin, and you'll see that in Acts chapter 4, there's the same picture where they have devoted themselves to pray. As they were arrested and then let go, they go back to the church and they begin to pray, asking the Lord to fill them with boldness that they might speak His Word. And it says that they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and the entire place was shaken. This is a foundational truth. We must be filled with God's Spirit. And if we're going to be filled with God's Spirit as a church, we must be a praying people. If I had time, I could tell you story after story. There was a church, the church is called Brooklyn Tabernacle Choir. And if you've read the story of Jim Cimbala and his ministry, and as he began to take, uh, take the, the church there at Brooklyn Tabernacle, he knew nothing else to do. He didn't know what to do as a young pastor, but to come in and begin a prayer service together. And so on Tuesday nights, they began to pray. This little bitty rundown church, 30 members, windows broken, And the story of the Brooklyn Tabernacle Choir is as they began to make prayer the hallmark of their ministry, that God began to pour into that church. His power began to move. Prostitutes began to repent of their sin. Gang leaders began to lay down their arms and come and follow Jesus. The church began to grow. And all of these people that were singing on the platform and gathering in the pews were people who had left sinful lifestyles and followed Jesus. An amazing display of God's power. Why? Because they were dependent upon God's Spirit in prayer. We must be filled with His Spirit and we must be a praying people. The language here is powerful says, suddenly there came from heaven a, a sound like a mighty rushing wind and it filled the entire house where they were sitting. The word spirit is 
the Spirit. They were filled with the Holy Spirit. The word Spirit in the Greek is the word pneuma. In the Hebrew it is the word ruach. And it means the same thing in both languages. Wind. And here is what is interesting. As you turn in your Bible to the beginning of history, when you look at the creation story, you'll see that the the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. The Ruach was hovering over the waters. And that when God created man, He breathed into them the breath of life. He breathed into them the Ruach. The same wind breathed as the breath of God. We follow that story into the prophets and you'll see in Ezekiel chapter 37, this valley of dry bones, when the Spirit of the living God breathed upon the bones and the bones came to life, they received life although they were completely dead. It's the same breath, the same wind. And in Acts chapter 2, when we see this story, it is the sound like a mighty rushing pneuma, a mighty rushing wind as the Spirit of God breathes life into the world that God has created through His Son, Jesus Christ. Pentecost is a picture of God's presence and His life-giving breath in us. Filling of the whole place, the same pictures in the Old Testament, we already mentioned that, and then tongues of fire Fire always associated with God's presence. God's presence is among us. And the tongues, by the way, these are not some unknown tongues. These are known languages we know from the word that is used here. So this is a unique expression where at Pentecost, all of, all of God's power comes in the presence of His Holy Spirit so that all people would hear the Gospel. But this is not unique in its in its in its general pattern for us, we don't experience the day of Pentecost in the same way, but we must continue to be filled by God's Spirit. If we had time, we walked through a bunch of different passages. Ephesians chapter 3 tells us that we're not to be drunk with wine. It's kind of a reference here. For that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit. Be filled with the Spirit. Paul further explains in Romans chapter 8 that we're to live not according to the flesh, but according to the, to the Spirit. We set our minds on the things of the Spirit. We must be filled with God's Spirit. Daily receiving of God's Word as the Spirit teaches us. It's His work. His mission. His church. We need Him. His Spirit to be changed, to be convicted, to be comforted. We need His Spirit for healing We need His Spirit for salvation. We need His Spirit for understanding. There is nothing we can do in our lives and certainly nothing we can do as the church without the Spirit of God filling us. And so we must be a people filled with God's Spirit. Secondly, we will experience God's power. Whenever we're a people that are filled with God's Spirit, we ultimately experience God's power. So the next part of our passage, verses 5-13, through 13, is the story of the reaction of all of the people around them and all of these different nations. It says that they were dwelling in this place, men from every nation under earth. They gathered there for the festival and they all end up hearing in their own language the first, five verse, or first four verses tell us. And even as they hear in their own language, they're perplexed saying to one another, what does this mean? And even begin to mock it. They must be out of their mind drunk. So not only do we see an expression of power in the first few verses, here's what we find. 
that this fire and this mighty rushing wind is so powerful that it absolutely arrests the attention of the entire city. The whole place is shaken. This is cosmic in nature. It is cataclysmic in its strength. The reality that God has shaken everything. And Jesus has already said this is going to happen. So John chapter 14, remember when the Holy Spirit was promised, Jesus said, I say to you, whoever believes in me will also do work, the works that I do and greater works than these will he do. They should have expected this, that something amazing was going to take place. And when they came to see what the sound was, they heard these disciples speaking in their own native tongue. But they were not natives. They were Galileans. And so they were perplexed. You see, when we are filled with God's Spirit, we experience God's power. It may not look like this in this passage. It may not look exactly the same. But when God is working in the church, there will be a visible experience of His power among us. Lives will be changed. And that visible experience is intended not for our purpose, but for His, for His glory and His honor so that He alone receives what is due to Him. This is so important for us to get here because as I think about the time of life that we're in as a church and as the church universal, how quickly life has changed for the American church. Not just the American church, the global church, but more specifically here in America. The seasons of our lives, this season in particular, is reminding us now more than ever before of how much we need God's power. How much we don't know what the days ahead look like and how much we have been shaken. I I just believe that God has shaken the church today. But it is God's intent, isn't it? It's not that we would be powerful enough to make it through. And I wonder how many of our gatherings, if the Holy Spirit were not to be there among us, if we were to be able to continue to do business as usual. It is God's intent that we would not rely on our own power, on our own strength, but ultimately on His power and His strength, so that when things happen through the Gospel that we preach, that He would receive glory and honor. I mean, we see this in 2 Corinthians chapter 4. Paul said, we, we want to proclaim... Jesus Christ to you, for God, who, it is God who uh, said, let, lightness, or let, let light shine out of the darkness. He's shown in our hearts to give light to the, to the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. And why? He says, we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. This is what happened at Brooklyn Tabernacle whenever they began to come to faith in Jesus. It wasn't Jim Cimbala and it wasn't the people there, but rather because the people were filled with the Spirit of God who was doing the work. We must be dependent upon His power and His Spirit. And when we are dependent upon His Spirit, we experience His power. Because the Gospel is the power of God unto salvation to all who believe. And by the way, each of you that are hearing this, if you know Jesus today, you are the continuing story of the power of God at work. He continues to work in His church. 
And I, I just believe we're going, to be, we're going to be more dependent on His power in the days ahead than we ever have in the history of our church. We need the power of God. I, I long to see people's lives in our community change. I long to see marriages restored. I long to see people healed. I long to see sinners come to faith in Christ. I long to see people who are addicted to drugs and alcohol come out of those addictions. I long to see our entire city shaken for the glory of God. But it will not happen apart from the filling of God's Spirit among His people, the preaching of His Word, and the power of His Spirit. We need to experience God's power. Third, not only do we have the filling of God's Spirit, not only do we need to be filled by His, God, by, by His Spirit, not only do we need to experience His power, but ultimately we will accomplish His mission. If we're relying on those things, ultimately His mission will be accomplished. What is that mission? Well, Peter stands up to give an explanation to what these people are experiencing. And when he stands, he reminds them, says to them, these people are not drunk. It's only the third hour of the day. In other words, there is no physical explanation for why they would be acting like this. It's not, does it doesn't make any sense that they would be drunk at this hour of the day. They've not been drinking. Not had time for that. They're standing at this hour of the day and they're speaking in these tongues and there's got to be another explanation. So, Peter gives the explanation. And he quotes from Joel chapter 2. And by the way, all of these that would have heard Joel chapter 2 would have heard it in their own language and it would have been understood because they're Jewish. They, they know what Joel chapter 2 was saying. So let me read it for us in the English. But this is what was uttered by the prophet Joel. And in the last days it shall be, God declares, that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh and your sons and your daughters shall prophesy and your young men shall see visions and your old men shall dream dreams. This is beginning to to show us a picture of what they're seeing right now. It's not completely fulfilled. There's still things that have yet to be fulfilled out of this chapter. And yet some of these things we do see. My male servants and female servants in those days, I will pour out my spirit on them and they shall prophesy. It's what we're seeing right here. And I will show wonders in the heavens above and signs on the earth below, blood and fire and vapor and smoke. Some of that still to come. The sun shall be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the day of the Lord comes. The great and magnificent day describing the coming of the Lord Jesus on this day that is, that is he's, when He's coming to ultimately set up that kingdom that the disciples asked about. But notice what He says in verse 21. You see all of these signs. Here is what you need to know, Hebrew people. Here is what you need to know, Southwide Baptist Church. Here is what you need to know, the world around us. It shall come to pass that everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. <laughs> For the spiritual mind, that was a perfectly reasonable explanation for what they were seeing. Why is this happening? Because God said it was going to happen. And what is so critical that they get is what they did not see. And that is the implication of this moment. 
what they were seeing before their eyes. And by the way, what you see as the gathered church experiences the power of God and people's lives are being changed. The message, listen, that rises up out of that and the message that goes forth from God's word as God's people are proclaiming this message is that anyone who calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. God is accomplishing His mission through His church. Everything that the church does rests on our obedience to this message. Since God's presence is with us and we have God's power within us, we proclaim to the world, you must be saved. So believer, Christ's follower, Christian, the one who knows Jesus today, can I just simply ask you, is your life, as you look from the outside looking in at your life, is your life, is there evidence that the Holy Spirit is there filling you? You living every day for His glory and obedience to His Son. Is there, is there evidence of the power of God in your life? Where God is sustaining you and using you to proclaim His message. And are you being faithful to accomplish the mission in His power? Are you speaking the name and the message and the hope of Jesus Christ to your friends, your family members, your co-workers, to everyone you know? That's the call. That that's what made up the early church. You see, I think we make church about a lot of different things. When the reality is that we are disciples making disciples. That's what we've been called to. That's the only task. We worship and we call out worshipers. Because that is who God is seeking we can make it about a whole lot of other things, but you know the reality is we don't even need a building really for that. The reality is we could gather in the woods, we could gather out here in this field. Every week we could gather together and pray together. We just have this building and it's, it's helpful because of weather and all of these other things and what a blessing it is that God has given us this building. And yet we don't need this building to do what God has called us to. Every, every one of us, and I, I'm speaking to my church family, I'm speaking to all the churches. If we would just speak the news. Oh, what God might do as we pray and He brings increase, a harvest of souls. Maybe, maybe you're one of those souls this morning and, and you don't know Jesus. I, I want you to hear the message of this verse. Would you just hear this? God, I'm asking right now in this moment that you would cause people to hear with clarity by your spirit what you've done for them. To hear your word. Would you hear this this morning? It shall come to pass. It shall be. That everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. 
That means if you would call upon the name of Jesus today. No matter who you are, there is there is no boundary on that. There is no qualifications for that. The, the only request, the only call, the only command on your life is call upon the name of the Lord. Anyone who would do that. And today He would save you. And how is that possible, you ask? Because Jesus suffered the death that was due you and due me. If we would trust the cross, trust in Jesus' death on the cross and in His resurrection and call out to a holy God, today the Bible says that He will forgive you of your sin, that He will save your soul, that He will seal you for all of eternity, and that today you can know that you have a hope in heaven with God. Not a dead hope, but a living hope. Not a hope that will fade or will perish, but a hope that will live forever. Eternal life with God. You can be restored to Him, and then He enlists you in proclaiming this good news of the Gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. Can I invite you to bow your heads with me right there where you're seated? I, I don't know where that is. It doesn't matter. God knows right where you are. You're right there before Him today. His presence is there with you. And He's speaking to your heart. His Word has spoken this morning. And the invitation on your life is clear. You would call upon the name of the Lord today. And you can be saved. Not because of anything you've done. Not because of anything you can offer, but because of what Christ has done. So would you do that right now where you're seated? There are no special words or anything that you would say, but maybe you would just cry out to the Lord and say, Jesus, I need you to save me. I'm a sinner. I know, I, I, I'm a sinner. And, and without you, I'm, I'm headed to hell and I need you to save me today. Would you forgive me for where I, I, I've been wrong? where I've rebelled against You, and would You save me today? I, I need You, God. I trust in the cross. I trust in what You've done for me, Jesus. And I believe that You're alive today, that You were raised from the dead, and I give my life to You. Make You my Lord and my Master and my Savior today. In Jesus' name, Amen. Listen, if that's your prayer today, we are... We are thankful that God is moving in your heart and we want to help you more than just that. We want, to, we want to talk with you. And so there is a link that is in the comments and I want to just mention it to you. It's mydecision.southwidebaptist.com mydecision.southwidebaptist.com Would you go to that link and would you fill out that form and just submit that form today? Because we'd love to get to know you more and to share with you the hope of Christ and, and talk about God's Word more. We, we'd love to connect you either with our church or with another local church uh, where you can be ministered to and you can continue to grow in your faith and partner with them to proclaim the Gospel. Or maybe you've not made a decision today. Maybe you're still wondering what that looks like in your life and we'd love to talk with you more. If you just fill out that form and send it in and we can get to know you and, uh, and reach out to you. We'd love to do that. And Christian, this is an opportunity for us. What an opportunity we have in the days ahead to get back to the basics and to do what God has called us to do in being people who are disciples, followers of Jesus, who make disciples of all the world. 
I want to thank you for being with us today and joining us in on this on this uh, live stream worship. And uh, we encourage you to stick around at noon. We're going to have our prayer time together as a church. We do that each day. So join us every day at noon. Uh, then tonight, our connect groups are going to be gathering. If you guys will look for those links on your uh, Facebook groups, and, and maybe you're not a part of one and you'd like to be, if you just leave that in the comments or maybe send us uh, that decision on that card, we'd love to uh, get to know you through connect groups as we build community together as God's people. God bless you, and we look forward to our time of worship again next week. You've been listening to the Southwide Baptist Church Podcast with Pastor Jeremy Lewis. For more information about our church, please visit www.southwidebaptist.com. We also invite you to connect with us on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram by searching for Southwide BC. Thank you for listening, and may you continue to worship, connect, grow, and multiply as you follow Jesus Christ. Christ.